yeah, it's uh, it's building a brand. You know, I think I actually think that's not discussed enough when it comes to salespeople and your sales career as well. Is like you're uh, you're building a brand every single day. Welcome to Decision Point, a podcast about overcoming adversity in sales and the growth that we experience in the process. I'm Brad Siemens. On today's episode of Decision Point, Brad sits down with Troy Barter, the Director of Sales at Hired. Troy has over 15 years of experience in sales and eight of that as a sales leader in the SaaS environment. Troy prides himself on being a leader that develops a working environment where his members of the organization can find motivation, inspiration, support, and above all else, the ability to have fun while they complete their day-to-day tasks. Well, cool, man. Well, Troy, thanks for coming on. I'm, I'm pumped. Glad that you were able to say yes and able to hop on here. So I'm super, I'm excited to talk to you and hear about your background. And so you're, I, I think I saw you're in Florida. Is that? I am. I'm, I'm about 40 minutes out of, out of Tampa. When we went remote last year, we, we really went remote. I'm in, in Dade city, which is uh, about a mile away from where I, where I went to high school for, for half the time in uh, Florida. I was also in Massachusetts for, for half of my high school and it's rural. There's cows in the are our neighbors. There's a good good 20 cows in, right, right behind my backyard and a couple acres. And if you've been to Florida, there's not many hills and there's a couple couple hills out here. It's nice. It's, it's a good change of pace. It's uh, kind of the, the great thing about being remote is the kids being able to, you know, have uh, a little less city life and a little more more rural. You know, we, uh, we like it so far for sure, man. That's, that's awesome. I did a spring break trip in college and we drove down from Illinois. We drove all the way to Florida through the Keys but you get into the central Florida and you get, it's really rural. And uh, you think about it as being Disney, kind of Disneyland, but it's kind it's country when you get. Yeah. Florida's actually not the South in the, like, until you get to about the middle, the middle of the state, <laughs> the closer you get to the beach, it's no longer the South. It's, I don't, it's I don't no know long. what it is, but it's not the South for sure. But yeah, the, the middle of the state is, uh, is a different world for sure. It gets pretty rural out there. Yeah. Now Dade County, does that put you in Southern, does that put you in Southern Florida? So it's Dade City, not Dade County. Dade County is where Miami is. Dade City, it's it's like northeast of Tampa by about forty minutes. Okay, that's what was confusing me because Dade Dade yep. County's Miami and Dade City's. Okay, yep. that makes that makes sense. Well, cool. Well, so I I saw that you had been. I'll let you just go ahead and once you tell us kind of how you got to where you're at. I saw you were at Panda Dock, and uh, you mentioned Hills. I saw you went to Hillsboro. Community College. Yeah. I'm assuming that's probably Mass- Massachusetts. So Hillsborough Community College in Tampa. And I actually got that, you know, associates like three years ago. You know, I typical sales. Well, maybe not so typical, but I guess for me, I, I, I started right out of college, right out of high school, going to college and started sales a little bit and realized, oh, wow, this is going to pay substantially more than being a history teacher. So I'll learn to teach sales at some point and we'll just, we'll rock with this and didn't look back for uh, a good 13 years or so until I went back to, to get that degree. And yeah, as far as getting into sales, I started in 06 in, in car sales. Cause I thought that was the only type of sale when I was in my early twenties, like I wanted to do sales. All right. Well, you sell cars, right? That's it. So got into that and and did that for for a couple of years. Definitely learned a good amount. I mean, everything is pretty much warm, right? There's not much cold outreach when it comes to car sales. When I left that, I actually left that for 
an outsourced sales company that was positioned as a, a marketing company, but it was it was direct marketing, which is a hundred percent commission door-to-door commercial, you know, business-to-business sales. And that was in about 2008. And that's where I got started in in business-to-business and door-to-door sales and did that for a pretty good amount of time until uh, 2012 and then got into into SaaS. When I was in door-to-door, I started at the bottom. I made it all the way up to a national director of sales. I think I had an org of about 60 to 70 people managed orgs in Chicago. I think we had one in Nevada, and then we had one based out of Tampa where we were. And um, moving into SaaS, even though I I knew the person that I was going to be working for, we came up together in door-to-door sales. Having that, uh, that door-to-door experience didn't necessarily translate. I was going to walk in the door as a director of sales, you know, or anything close to it, I, I started as a as an SDR, and I think what served me really well in in sales to kind of get to where I am is that everywhere that I'm at, I, I really try to continue to learn and apply the things that have made me a success in one spot to the next. So, no matter what the system is, I've done so many things in sales that I've probably got something that'll help apply to it. And and when I interviewed in SaaS, it was for a, a company called Fleetmatics, a GPS tracking company in, in 2013. They'd start to give an idea of how they did things. And it all kind of applied to other stuff that I had done in the past. I always say it kind of felt like, um, you ever watched the movie Slumdog Millionaire? Where I have watched Slumdog Millionaire, yeah. Yeah. So like he just happens to be in the chair to win a million dollars and every question he just happened to live through something where he could apply it and, and it worked for him. I think that works in sales too. If you keep learning as you're going, like eventually it's like someone's got a problem and it's already in the mental Rolodex from an experience that you have, if you digest it and and keep it with you. So they said, you know, Hey, yeah, we, the way that we pitch people is we just say, you know, Hey, you know, been working with a lot of folks in your area and it's like, okay, social proof, right? Jones effect, whatever you want to call it. You're leveraging that you might name drop somebody if you want to be specific you know, helping them track their fleet of company on vehicles, helping them out with saving money on fuel, et cetera. And I believe you guys handle something like that over there, right? Or I believe that you're the person that would handle, you know, the fleet management, or I believe that you have five or more vehicles. Whatever that standard question is, is that's going to guarantee you a yes, just a soft question. So you're not steamrolling somebody in your opening pitch. It's like you did the same thing door to door. Yeah. You want to ask a question so they don't overwhelm them. And then they would just do an option close. All right, great. What I normally do is schedule a short online demonstration, show you a live fleet in the area that has, you know, all the live maps, vehicles, everything that we can take care of for you guys. When's the best time for you to take a look at something like that? Would later today work for you? Or do you think tomorrow is going to be better? And I was like, oh yeah, it's option close. It's great. Did the same thing in the car business. 48 months, 60 months, 72 months. Which one's best? All right, cool. Hold on one second. I'll go get it approved. Just sign right here. Like there is no option for now, you know, and it did door to door in um, home security. You know, hey, you know, we're, we're from the marketing team. We're here to help out. You know, and I, I believe I can see your your touchpad from 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 back there. Is that that the the touchpad that was existing with the house? All right, cool. I just need to take a look at that real quick. Do you want me to take my shoes off? There's no option for me to not go into the house, though. I'm either taking my shoes off or leaving them on. But that's the next step in the process. So that's what we're going to go with next. Um, and they weren't even really applying it, even though it was in their script. So it kind of helped me move up quickly. I embraced everything that they were doing all in, even things that didn't jive with my existing process. They were doing a lot better than I was at the time. You know, in fact, when I started in SaaS, even though I was a national director of sales, like things um, don't always go great at the place that you're at. It might not be the most honest. Like I remember asking like when the check was, cause I needed to have the gas to get out there. And, uh, you know, I, I went in there, even things that didn't jive with what I, you know, was my process. I'd be like, all right, you guys are doing better than me. 
I'm all in. I'll, I'll, I'll adapt. I'll change to whatever it is. And I think because I moved so quickly with that and jumped in, I, I was able to have success quickly. I went from a SDR and within a month and a half, I was in. And then, well, that's uh, quick. Month and a half. That's quick. That's quick. So it's kind of unfair, right? There's two different things that I think, all three, that that are why I moved up so quickly. Because I know like I I made a post about SDRs moving up fast and everything like that. Number one, I was a personal recruit. The guy that brought me in knew that I was really, really good ahead of time. There wasn't much of a vetting process. They already had known what, what had made me successful would probably make me successful here. Number two, there was a mass exodus the week that I came in. They lost about half of their AEs. One of the founders of that office started something else. And a large amount of AEs and SDRs left. So there was this chasm that they needed to fill. And there was only so many people that would make sense to do that. And the third, you know, I I kicked ass in that first month. You know, they probably had about 30 or 40 SDRs there. And by the end of the month, I was ranked third. And that wasn't third in pipeline. It was third in closed one revenue. And it was all cold because no one trusted to give me an inbound yet. So, you know, my first month, I think I, I, I sat 14. I forget what I booked, but it was seven deals. And... I was ready to go, you know, and I was ready to put the work in uh, to learn. So definitely not a natural progression, right? But it, I, I, and I would have been willing to wait longer for sure. I was pretty hyped up about it, but they needed to fill the role. And I was like, cool, let's go. I'm, I'm down. Moved into the AE role. And by the time I had moved to director, I was in the top three in the company, which was a pretty big global company on the AE side of things and moved into the director role. I took over for a historically underperforming team. Was able to turn that around. Company at Fleetmatics eventually got uh, acquired by Verizon for $2.4 billion. It was pretty awesome. I had stock in the company, which is why I waited another couple of years before leaving after that. And, you know, it's kind of a natural progression, I guess. And eventually moved over to, uh, to Panadoc two years ago in October of 2019 because, uh, you know, I, I was looking to progress my career out of the role that I had been in for such a long time. You know, I, I kind of like capped at director once Verizon acquired Fleetmatics. They didn't really have like a, uh, traditional, you know, regional vice president or anything like that. And uh, I, I saw where they had a need where I could have an impact, which was going outbound. They wanted to start to go outbound. It's something that I, I've done my whole career. I think I've had a, a good amount of success with. And I saw where there were some spots on the AE side that I could assist with as well. I feel like I'm talking a significant amount without stopping, which I can tend to do. You know, a, a, anything on your side? Any well, anything I, I partake in what I like to call aggressive listening or like aggressive yeah. listening. My wife says that my best friend and I, she's like, you guys get on the phone, you talk and nobody, you guys just talk over each other. And I'm like, yeah, it's uh, active listening. We're aggressive listeners. Yeah. So <laughs> I, you're, you're uh, no, I'm just trying to be a good, I'm trying to be a good listener. So no, you're, you're doing, you're doing a great job. So you you mentioned at Fleet, Fleet that you had taken over a team and then you turned that team around prior to the sale. What, what were some, what was the state of the team when you got it? And then what were some of the things that you did to turn it around? So before I was an AE on, there was two teams in the Southeast region. There was uh, the team that I, I, I started with as an SDR and as an AE. And then there was uh, the other team. And the team that I was on would usually hit target halfway through the month and we'd win a fishing trip or something like that. And we'd be getting up and leaving. And, you know, the other team would watch us leave. And it's probably pretty demoralizing. That happens over and over again. And usually the second half, we were trying to make up for what was going to be an inevitable miss on the other team, knowing that they were, you know, out of the four regions in the United States, it usually was one of the, the, the last ones. And there was a couple of different ways that, that I was able to, to turn it around. I think the largest thing was they already had some of the best account executives. They had some of the best closers, but the pipeline 
just wasn't there. The folks that they were bringing in a few, it was real obvious. Like you're just not doing anything. And they were a very dial heavy company. There wasn't a lot of like, well, we're going to multi-thread with email and LinkedIn. It kind of wasn't, that wasn't the approach. It was pretty old school in the fact that you've got a literal phone and we're, we're dialing. We have click to dial. It's pretty good. You got that on Salesforce. But outside of that, it's old school. We're pounding the phones. You know, sometimes there'd even be paper lists that we were going after. So a lot of when you get throwing you guys the phone books. I loved it, man. You know, door to door. So this is a lot more sophisticated. I'm not in a suit in August in Tampa having to walk to the next plaza to pitch when someone tells me no. You know, so this is already a, a leap in technology compared to my my other experience in hitting, uh, you know, stuff cold on a daily basis. Um, I think one thing that helped us on the pipeline side was recognizing that option close that was in the pitch that I was talking about a little bit earlier. And what I like to do, and I I would say this definitely isn't the gospel, and I don't necessarily think it works for absolutely every org based on how they position things, but we would front load that option close before qualifying. So what I mean by that, we knew the ponds that we were fishing in were going to bear fruit. It's GPS tracking. So if you have a plumbing company that has 10 vehicles, there's a pretty good chance that you could save money on fuel if they're routed the right way. There's a pretty good chance that some of that overtime that's getting reported may not necessarily have actually happened. There's a pretty good chance that you could make them more effective where they could pick another job or two up in the day. This goes for anyone that's not tracking. So we know if we're calling them, that we can be pretty assumptive and we can be pretty assum- uh, you know, presumptuous with it. So I would say go through your elevator pitch, ask a question just to qualify. I believe you guys run a fleet of five or more vehicles. Is that right? Right after that, we're going to the option close. You know, when's the best time for you to take a look at something like this? Would later today work for you? You think tomorrow's going to be better for that? And what I'd say is like, be super assumptive. It's this or that. And you want to sound positive and assumptive when you're going through that part of the option close. When I was an SDR, I would circle it. And the whole goal of the call was for me to get to this part. If I get to this part, that the ball's in the air, I'm going to dunk it when I get to this part. And that my goal is to get here, you know, and afterwards I'm going to qualify. And I viewed it like, you know, obviously there's a lot of sports stuff behind me. Like a, like a, a sports reference would be the option closes a swing of the bat. A lot of people get on the phone, they qualify, build rapport. Man, I had a great conversation with them. In 20 minutes, I was talking to them. Awesome. Did you book it? No. Did you ask for a time? No, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't ask for one. So they just stood in the batter's box and they watched the pitches go by and they didn't even swing. They never had an opportunity. So we would front load that close just from a numbers game perspective that if we swing the bat more than the other team, even if they're more skilled than us, we're probably going to get more hits than them. After they book, once they commit to that time, then we'll circle the wagon and we'll qualify them. But goal one is for us to try to just get, get them to get say yes to an appointment. Yeah, goal so one is swing the bat more often and try to swing it better, be positive and assumptive. And then when they would go to qualify, they'd realize like you'd get better qualification out of them. You would get better answers because the wall isn't up anymore. They're like, well, I already said I'm going to look at this. I might as well tell them everything. And all of a sudden, they're more open and the discovery goes better, you know, and that was a real helpful way because I knew we had good closers, we had great closers. You know, it was just how do I get them pipeline and how do I do it in an easy way that's like so simple even a caveman could do it. And it's like, hey, just just say this and say it often and 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 get after it. And that worked. You know, yes, yeah, so not everyone adopted it. Not everyone adopted, you know, I didn't hold them to a specific dial number, but it's like, let's get after it, you know. 
And if they didn't, you know, obviously you're going to have turnover on an underperforming team. But for the most part, you know, I don't think we ever really turned over someone that we didn't, you know, uh, feel like we, we had to, you know, we didn't lose top talent. So were you able to get those guys out of the um, underperforming status? So when you take over this team, it sounds like you come in, you get, you, I'm going to guess, you probably got a script you together yep. for them based on what yep. you 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 put up, you probably laid out some kind of goal for them that you want them to hit. And then you went out and find the right people to fit into that, those two steps of the plan. Yeah. Does that um, sound? Actually, I didn't change the script that was already there. It, I like, like, again, I was, I crushed it as an SDR. I didn't change the script. It was already working. It was more identifying the mechanics that existed in the script that they weren't calling out as sales process. I think it's, a good difference between like solid sales leaders and, 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 and people that can be leaders and not are the ones like, you know, you'll talk to a top AE and they'll be like, yeah, I just get after it every day. Like they don't, they can't break down their process and tell you why it's working for them. They can't really repeat it yet because they haven't identified the steps and the different, you know, parts of it. I identified like, oh, this is heavy option close. We leverage social proof at the start. We might even name drop someone that's close by. We have the ability of doing that in Salesforce. And that does help. It helps, you know, what, what's outbound sales. It's reducing skepticism to build intent. And then from there, like it's, we're going on the option close. We're going to, we're just going to, you know, we're going to rock with what got us to here and we're, we're going to ride until the wheels fall off. Okay. So here's what I, here's what I love about this. I would say this is highly controversial and very different. I'm going to come up with some controversial topics here. So this is like the direct opposite of like a Josh Braun who's going to take a lot of stuff from Chris Voss. So not being afraid, you know, like no, historically, you know, no is kind of a negative word. You brought that up. Yep. Like, hey, we want to get into yeses. So so give me your thoughts on that. So, I mean, I'll be candid, man. Like, I don't really have much of a background on their philosophy to 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 counteract it. But I was thinking about this the other day. Like as far as like, I don't believe that cold calling is dead. I believe in confirmation bias. In other words, I can find a stat that will support my argument, no matter what my argument is. And if we live in a world where most people don't want a cold call, I don't think it's that they're not good at cold calling. Anyone can get good at cold calling if you work at it hard enough. I genuinely think that, but they don't want to, or they were afraid to, and they never got over it. Then you, and you know that probably a large amount of your audience on a place like LinkedIn or anywhere would love for someone to tell you, Hey, you don't have to cold call. It's actually dead now. Perfect. Awesome. That's what we wanted to hear anyways. Right. Here's the stats that back it up. But then why is it that all of these top SDRs and AEs that still prospect are whipping ass? Like, why is that? Why does it work for them? But you have all of these numbers that say that it doesn't work anymore. It's, it, it seems like, well, maybe both work, but like, how about you never really executed on it? Like you never really went all the way on getting as good as you could be at it is what, what I would challenge to it. So when I think about marketing channels, I always think about this story of a friend of mine who's got a blinds company and he gets a group of guys. He has a, a local blinds company. He gets a kind of a roundtable group of guys across the country. I think eight of these guys flew in. They all have practice, businesses about the same size. They get in a hotel room and they sit and they start talking about what they did to grow their blinds practice. And, or I guess it's not a practice, it's a business, right? So the blinds company. So what he tells me is he said, I was shocked to hear that each person in the group, he's like, there was a guy that had uh, built his business on uh, video on or on uh, commercials. There was a guy that built his 
a business on pay-per-click or paid ads. There's a guy that built business on billboards. He's like, I built my business by going to all of the uh, home builders and I'd knock on the door and I had a little lady from my church that would go up and she'd knock on the door and say, Hey, you know, X, Y, Z, Cindy, whatever her name was. And uh, she'd get a relationship built with these guys. And then they would eventually, when somebody came in to build a house, they'd say, Hey, if you go to do your blinds, you need to talk to, to, to this company. And he said that every single person in that round table had tried one of these other channels and that nobody could get another channel to work. And I think it just comes down to what you said there is like, you got to go all in. You got to come. Yeah. It's even like with like the multi-level marketing, what are they like, which, you know, it's a little bit, not really the case, but like, oh, it, it, the plan works if you work it right. Like that's like kind of the thing. And it's, that's what I don't like on, um, what I don't like is particularly on LinkedIn. I'll see a lot of people that'll their, their content is, catered around what doesn't work or what you shouldn't do. And it's like, how about this worked for me? If you want to give it a try, like see if it works for you. Like maybe it won't, maybe it will. But a lot of it is like, oh, this doesn't work anymore. No, it just doesn't work for you. You never wanted it to work. No, no one will ever bring up something that they actually wanted to work out for them and say it doesn't work. It's always the thing that's the hardest to do or the thing that doesn't work for their personality or something that they just weren't motivated to do. And it's like, that's horrible advice because you might talk to someone who is like the goat of outbound sales and doesn't know it yet. And then they never take the path. Take the chance. No, I think that's, yeah. I think that, I think that's great. I think that's great insight. I think the other thing um, too is we have a, t so I'm seeing a lot of this you know, prospects don't like this or prospects don't like that. I think you need to be respectful to the, pro to the, to the prospects for sure. Yeah. But we also do a lot of stuff we don't like. You know, I'd I, I would, just because I don't like it doesn't mean it's not a good channel to, to, to try to get a hold of me. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, yeah, it's, I'll tell you what prospects don't like. They don't like hearing somebody that hates their job on the phone. They don't 100%. like someone that sounds scared. They don't like someone that clearly doesn't want to be on the line. So it's like prospects don't like outbound calling. All right, so let's consider the source. The person who didn't like to do it thinks prospects don't like it. They ain't like you, fam. That's who they didn't like. They didn't like how you sounded. Sound positive and assumptive and like you belong and that you're a little exciting. You're worth a conversation. And all of a sudden they like it. Wow, it's the, nothing's changed except for the fact that I wanted to call them. And I was excited to get on the phone with them, you know, and I, I will say I made a post about this too. Like, I really love outbound. I think that it makes you bulletproof in sales, but I mean, don't get it twisted. Inbound is better, right? Like if you have an inbound lead, you, you better call that way before you think about going right. outbound, you know, especially in SaaS. Like the only, the only value that outbound has is that if you don't have enough inbound for the engine that you've built, or if you want to go up market and outbound there's, there's compelling evidence that outbound is going to provide you with larger deals and the juice is worth the squeeze of deal size versus velocity, right? Like if, if it, if the ROI is there, then you go after it. Like, I think like I, I talk probably too much about outbound because I, it does, I feel like it's just, everyone is constantly talking it down and it's like, this still works. It still works in a big way. But that being said, if you've got inbounds that are hot, like you should be making the most out of your inbound engine before you ever consider picking up the phone for an outbound call. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. And I think we have a tendency to want to put stuff in camps. The reality is you need to be doing all the things that drives, that drive, that drives in business. 
you yep. know, it, it's going to be inbound. It's going to be outbound. It's podcast, blogcast, this, that. I mean, you got to do all the things. Sale, sales is hard and you got to do all the stuff that it takes to drive revenue. Yeah, you should always be thinking about, I, I'd say this to my, my AEs, but when it comes to like what you mentioned, LinkedIn, podcasts, posting, email, phone call, everything that possibly could be out there, like lay all that on the floor and look at it and ask yourself, honestly, what do I suck at the most? And that ought to be, you know, there's a lot of Patriot stuff behind me and they, they try to exploit the other team's weakness. They don't try to play to their positive. They try to play to the other team's weakness. You know, you should be looking at where your weak point is and all right, well, that's what I'm going to work on it getting better at because I definitely can pull this lever and see impact because it's what I'm weakest at. Am I going to pull the lever on what I'm strongest at and necessarily see big growth? I mean, it, not necessarily, you know, and all of it works. So like I always, and I don't think it always works for everybody, right? You may not have, or, or may not want to do part of it and, and you don't have to do all of it to get good, but like if you can try to do as as well as you can on every avenue that produces, you know, value, you're putting yourself in a way better position to win. I agree. I, so I, I think I, so I'm experiencing a little bit, a little bit of brain fog here this afternoon. I think I had a little too much caffeine, but you, you got into one of my, my favorite quotes, which is, and I may misquote him here is by Rod, Roger Penske. So the, the famous race car owner and, and entrepreneur, he says, effort equals results. And I think what he means from that is very rarely do you have, do, do you not focus, very rarely if you do not focus on something, do you not get the results? I mean, almost yeah. usually if you go look, and I'm not saying that there's not some people that work hard and don't get the results because that does occasionally happen, but happen. But typically, when you go back and you look at why something is not working, it's usually because of a lack of effort yep. or focus. Are you, are you doing everything you can? You know, like if it's something that you really want, then you should be doing everything that you can to get it. You know, and I think a lot of times like people just, I, I just did a post about this today. Like I started, I, I started that LinkedIn. Everyone's doing the LinkedIn newsletter. I was like, all right, cool. Let me hop on that. Let me tell you something. Uh, it's pretty awesome. Like it, it's, it, it sends out and you can grow an audience pretty quickly on, on something like that. But I, I used to run a meeting on it of, let's say that, you know, I came in here as your sales manager with a briefcase and I open it up and I've got a hundred thousand dollars cash in here. And what I'm going to challenge you to is you need to at least meet your best day. If it's an SDR, most amount of bookings you've ever done. If it's an AE, most amount of closed one revenue that you've ever done, most amount of deals, whatever you want to call it. And if you do that, at the end of the day, if you do it by close of business, I'm going to hand you this briefcase of $100,000 at the end of the day. And what I tell people is, close your eyes, think about it. If that actually happened, what would you do differently today than what you would have done before we talked about it? What, do you, what, what, what would you change? In SDRs, it's like, oh, I would dial the phone 300 times. I would, I, I, I wouldn't take no for an answer. I would, I, I, instead of getting one objection, I would get four before I get off the phone. I would leverage all of my follow-ups and call them at the right time. I would take, you know, one less coffee break or something like that, or what, you know, whatever, you know, and it's all right. Well, the people that view their finish line of a, the next hundred thousand dollars like that every single day and hit it with that level of excitement and effort are way closer 
and are going to get to that next $100,000 way faster than someone who doesn't. It's tough when you're in sales and you're in a grind to really put the effort in and execute every single day. The people that I think do it the best are the ones that have a goal, whether it's long-term or short-term, and every day feels like the finish line is at the end of it. And they approach it that way and they run that way. And they do, they, they do it in a way where, yeah, you might be working more, but they make sure that they don't get burnt out. And you'd be surprised how much work you can put in and the satisfaction of knowing that you're seeing results kind of prevents you from burning out a little bit. you know. But I, I think that it is like, it, it is effort for sure. And it's, how do you do that effort every day? You know, you, you got to have the right mindset at the start of every day or else eventually you're going to fall into a funk, you know? And that's why I think, I think there's like a negative around like, well, I, I could run, I see a lot of Patrick, but David even said this, some other folks were like, yeah, like I try not to do motivational stuff because motivation is temporary. And it's like, yeah, but so was, so was your hustle. Your hustle is temporary too. If you don't keep motivated. And there was you know? Zig Ziglar quote about that. He's like, you know, some about taking a bath. He's like, you know, they say motivation is temporary, but you know, so is a bath, but you do it every day. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah. I think that, it, that, that shouldn't really be like a, a negative. I've seen where it's like, if you need, if you need motivation like this to get going every day, then you're not, you're not putting yourself in a position to have success. And it's like, well, wait, that's, and I hate when people say easy for you to say, but it's kind of like, all right, well, you're intrinsically motivated because you can come up with the content that you're that you're laying out. So if someone isn't necessarily like a creative person, like you're faulting them from going out there and looking for ways to get motivated. I mean, Brady's behind me. Brady finds ways to get motivated. Jordan found ways to get motivated. They make up. So you brought up a really good point. The people that don't like phone prospecting have a tendency to talk about that and talk about it being dead. And, and the thing that I think you said was, well, of course you didn't like it because you had a you had a bad attitude. It makes me think about the difference between going to Taco Bell and going to Chick-fil-A. Nobody doesn't, I mean, Chick-fil-A has a great drive-through experience. I don't know if you guys got Chick-fil-A's down in Tampa, but up here, you know, the the they're wrapped around the buildings. Uh, they're causing havoc on everybody's parking lot. Everybody has a great, you know, you go through there, they say my pleasure, they smile, they're happy. I've, in fact, the Chick-fil-A by my house, there's a kid that didn't seem to be so happy. And I felt like, you know, you feel like it's your Chick-fil-A and you you feel like you got to say something like, hey, man, everybody here is having a great time. And, you know, they're doing an excellent job. And then you got one person that's like standing out, but they've created a brand around people that love doing their job. And no, the point of the story is nobody hates going to the Chick-fil-A outside of it being tra- a lot of traffic. Right. But you don't have a bad experience at Chick-fil-A. That's their brand. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, yeah, we have we, we actually just got a Chick-fil-A out here in the middle of nowhere, which is p- pretty exciting. So and the drive through experience is, is top notch for sure. It's it's like Publix for us, too, here. I don't know. I, I, I don't know where you're at, but we've got public supermarkets and like that's the brand is like when you go there, everyone's nice. Everyone's on point. Everyone's making it happen for you. Like and yeah, it's a, it's a little more than Winn-Dixie, like in general. But you know, it's, it's a better experience when, if you're, if you're going to have to go to the grocery store in a world where everything is ordered online, like you at least feel like you're having a good experience in there. I think, I think there's something to that for sure. So yeah, it's, it's building a brand, you know, I think, I actually think that's not discussed enough when it comes to salespeople and your sales career as well Is like, you're, 
you're building a brand every single day. And uh, even account executives where they think that everything is reflected based on their number and whether or not they're hitting target, what's actually, what I tell my reps is uh, hitting your number is a part of it, but what's most important is building your brand every day. At the end of the day, is your brand stronger with yourself, your peers, you know, everybody that's around you, your, 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 your higher ups, or is it not? If it's stronger, then you, you win over time. You know, that's the real question. Not, did I hit my number? Because you can hit your number and piss everybody off and you're probably not going to move up and you, you're, you're high value and you're really high maintenance. And when you stop being high value, you're putting yourself in a rough spot. You know, how you are branded is really important for long-term success, even if you're an individual contributor. The importance of having a really good, having a good attitude, you know, having a plan, uh, sticking to the plan, you know, working the plan every day. It's so easy to get off track, to get in the clouds, to to forget that, hey, look, this stuff works. uh, And it particularly works if you execute on it. And it's easy to get stuck in the fluff and get stuck in what people don't like because that's what people talk about. And then you start conv- you get in a feedback loop and you start convincing yourself it doesn't work. When I have yet to see conversations and in my experience, conversations are a great indication of revenue. If you are having consistent conversations, those will turn into revenue. I mean, I think it's it, it is execution is really the word. It's less strategy. And it's more execution. You know, I, I work in SaaS, it's software. Everyone wants to come up with the next big brain strategy that we've got. Even a half-baked plan, if it's executed to perfection and with enthusiasm, probably is going to be the perfect strategy that isn't executed, right? Like, stop worrying about reinventing the wheel and start worrying about whether, like, how can you roll this wheel as fast as possible? Like, it, it, it is really on execution way more than strategy to me. I heard Vince Lombardi could talk about one play, the one play they ran, because they basically ran one play for eight hours in exhaust and uninterrupted. <laughs> he didn't have a lot. They, they didn't have a fancy playbook, the Green Bay Packers. You know, they had one, they basically had one, one play that they ran, but it worked and it worked well because it comes down, it comes down to execution. So, so this was awesome, man. I, I, I guess before we get off a, a couple things, tell me a little bit about the, the business that you're at today. Talk, talk a little bit about hiring. So, Hired and I'm I'm fairly new, right? I've been here actually for for less than a month. But the best way of putting it with hired is it's a platform. If you're if you're looking to hire quality candidates and you're looking to hire them, you know within a within a time frame where you'd like to get response rates faster, you'd like to get better people in, and you'd like to potentially get somebody in with you know let's say a decent level of urgency on certain candidates. It's it's a great platform. Another big thing that that Hire does with a, a lot of companies, particularly nowadays, and it's a it's a great endeavor, is they they want to really focus on improving like diversity and and underrepresented candidates. Hired partners with a wealth of different organizations that assist with that. It also has tools within it where you can you can filter and you can sort and you can make sure that you're putting yourself in the best position to meet those goals. But they're also proactive about partnering with groups where they can put more underrepresented candidates that are well-qualified in front of, you know, the, uh, the customers that are on the platform that are looking to hire. So it, it's definitely a competitive uh, advantage as far as the way that they do it. But, you know, long story short, if you're looking to hire, you're having trouble finding the right people, you're doing cold outreach maybe, and you're not getting good responses, 
that's an ideal candidate, particularly in software and the engineer space, some on the sales side as well, which is a new vertical for them. I, uh, I tell you what, man, fresh, I would say this was like fresh air, just some really solid, just advice. I think it was a good, good conversation, man. I liked it. So I hope you guys enjoyed that. As always, uh, if you want more information on the podcast, go to monsterconnect.com forward slash podcast. Uh, you can get last season's, uh, last year's episodes. You can get all the new episodes for this year. And as always, remember, don't let what you can't do interfere with what you can. Until next time.